Hello, everybody. This is our Sunday, February the 20th, 2022, and I believe it's number 54, vlog number 54. Check engine light is on and flashing in our parish, and I, by request, I'm going to go into another digression about disciplinary ministry that exists in the church on clergy and staff. It's, you never heard of that concept before. You can look at your clergy and staff, including your bishop, and ask them why. It's legitimate to have discipline on clergy and staff. Now, I want to put in this context... Uh, three comments. One, start off with uh, this podcast, this, this vlog. It goes to those who are not Catholic, those who are former Catholics, who have left the church, our family, most of my family, and those who are Catholic and are not motivated to take action, and those who are trying to do something about it. So, Ordinary Man, Jordan Peterson, talks about a glimpse of a remarkable and singularly chilling glimpse of human behavior. It talks about, uh, this is a major contribution to the literature of the Holocaust, Ordinary Men. Jordan Peterson says, there's a thin line in all of our hearts. Psychologically, we can walk over it into horror. And he talks about how in World War II, the Nazis recruited ordinary men, trained them, brought them into group think so that they were slowly inculcated into doing horrible acts. For instance, these are Jordan Peterson, his words. They would take a woman who's pregnant and have her strip nude in winter go out into the fields, kneel down, and they would shoot her in the back of the head. They would destroy innocent life. So, that can happen. Jordan Peterson says there's not much psychologically distinguishing us from them. They were ordinary, and they got sucked up, or oftentimes they were pushed into, pulled into, but they entered into a mindset that brought about horrible, horrible events. So keep that in mind when you think it can't happen to me or can't happen to my friends, can't be part of my parish. And then I want to let you know that, uh, remind you that uh, we're about protecting families, protecting the things that you value. We want to strengthen the brethren, strengthen our families and our friends and we're about love love is the vengeance of Christians to coin the term of Oscar Romero Saint Oscar Romero love is the Christian vengeance love charity would include the works of mercy the spiritual works of mercy the corporal works of mercy which include correcting a sinner 
That would include clergy and staff and your bishop. And St. Teresa, uh, St. Catherine of Siena corrected a pope. Paul corrected Peter. Keep in mind that the devil wants to deceive. That's his main weapon against good individuals to get them to do nothing. Keep that in mind as we begin to talk a little bit about this dis- Episcopal, that's from the bishop's point, this disciplinary ministry on errant members of the clergy and ask about, did you know this is a legitimate activity of the Holy Spirit in the church? And I want to be, I want to put that in the circumstance of what we're trying to do. Remember, we bridge to better. We offer the clergy and staff at the parish and diocesan level an opportunity to love, evoke in them love. And that oftentimes comes in the form of them repenting, repenting, competent authority that did not act, repenting. What are the circumstances that makes this more despicable when competent authority did not act? Tell us. Repent. <coughs> now let me continue in the words of B16 as we go into this disciplinary ministry on errant members of the clergy, by implication their staff, and we'll start off with the episcopus, the bishops, the episcopal disciplinary ministry. There's ecclesial disciplinary ministry. Think of the words of Benedict XVI in his pastoral letter, March the 20th, 2010. Spoken to you, spoken to my friends who, it's very painful to have clergy on a pedestal and then you, you realize, my God, you know, you, you wake up and you say, what is going on? Hear what he says. These are B-16s. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. I have been deeply, this is a pastoral letter. This is to you. And that's not a good sign if none of your clergy, none of the staff have ever told you about this. I have been deeply disturbed by the information which has come to light regarding the abuse of children and vulnerable young people particularly by priests and religious. I can only share in the dismay and sense of betrayal that many of you have experienced on learning of these sinful and criminal acts and the way the church authorities dealt with them. He's sharing his dismay and sense of betrayal. I have that dismay and I have that sense of betrayal. And I'll tell you that individuals I know have been con- who, who have 20-20 vision have been treated terribly by the clergy and staff locally. The good ones say nothing. They're like athletes. They look good. They talk good. They got all the theological muscles, but they take no action. They're athletes. They're not soldiers. They won't protect me. They won't protect Heather, Therese. None of the people, the innocents that I've seen with my own eyes put to death before family and friends and no one says anything. Let me continue. And so that's the purpose of this, is to encourage you to know that taking action is legitimate. That's why there's, at the Vatican, there's a jail, 
There is a prosecutor. There's a police force. There's an army. They, uh, the Vatican City State is just that. It's like Singapore. It's a city state. Vatican is a city and a state. It's a, our Catholic Church is a church. It's a people of God. It's a state, just like the state of Israel. Very powerful. Fulfills the prophecy of Daniel, some would say. Let me continue. <coughs> and this is uh, Archbishop Oscar V. Cruz. Pray for him. He passed away due to COVID about a year ago. As this little book is being written, it can be said with both shame and sorrow that the Catholic Church, founded by the Lord Jesus Christ himself and firmly established in all the continents of the globe, is undergoing some kind of public crucifixion, basically on account of the grave sexual misconduct of some members of the clergy and the religious in several countries. I continue. When in fact, and this is page four, uh, the earlier page, you haven't left out anything, you just have the, the contents, so I'm starting right at the beginning of the book. Page four. What in fact makes the scandalous carnal misdeeds much worse is that the competent church authorities did not act on such cases. Neither according to the dictates of pastoral prudence, the imperative of justice, nor pursuant to the disciplinary norms laid down by church law. Needless to say, what in effect makes such a hideous spectacle more shocking and despicable is the combined significance and import of the following commonly known factors in the making of priests and religious men. They undergo from 10 to 14 years of spiritual and academic formation in other humano-Christian development, developmental subjects, plus many other undertakings eventually to make them good men, good priests, and religious who are enjoined, committed, and expected to preach the gospel truths, especially to the lay faithful, as they themselves subscribe to and live by the same Christian faith and morals. Now let me put a parens on that. Just hold on, I'm going to digress. That's presuming good faith and fair dealing. There are men who were told, you will not be ordained if you don't shut up about what you've seen and what you've been exposed to in the seminary. So, you will be ordained to proclaim truth. But at first, in order to do that, you have to compromise. You have to lie. You have to remain silent. Then remember, Google, Goodbye Good Men, the book, talks about some of that. Good men are turned away. So when you look at the priests and you wonder why they don't speak up, they, those men may very well be conditional priests. They got hooked when they were in a seminary and told, if you don't shut up, you won't be ordained. Now they saw something. They saw, our presumption is sexual activity. Sexual activity, uh, and I believe also I would extend it to financial misgivings, of a clergy and staff and leadership. And they were, they were caught in that by being told, shut up or you won't be ordained. And you see that if you just Google it, shut up or you won't be ordained. I haven't Googled it, but that's Google that. It's common knowledge here in Michigan. 
We've had this exposed in Michigan, exposed by priests who've come to Michigan and spoken on uh, church militant TV, church militant radio, and they've discussed their own experiences, and they're now ashamed. They're absolutely ashamed, and their conscience is burdened that they shut up. And how many other men did not shut up and did not get ordained? Did you ever think about that? Think about that when you remain silent. Think about Father Cohen, who suffered in Gaylord Diocese of Michigan. Think about the people who speak up. Think about Father Joe Krupp. And the police report about Father Mark Inglot. Look it up on Church Militant. Think about that as you remain silent. And if you're getting nudges to speak or to do something or write a letter, consider what we're talking about. Consider the message from O.B. Cruz. There is disciplinary ministry. It's a legitimate activity of the church. I continue. I'm going to read that last paragraph. Needless to say, what in effect makes such a hideous spectacle more shocking and despicable is the combined significance and import of the following commonly known factors in the making of priests and religious men. They undergo from 10 to 14 years of spiritual and academic formation and other humano-Christian development subjects, plus many other undertakings eventually to make them good men, good priests and religious who are enjoined committed, and expected to preach the gospel truths. I'm going to emphasize that. Gospel truths, especially to the lay faithful, as they themselves subscribe to and live by the same Christian faith and morals. Let me pause. They're not, that's the point. The, many of them are not living the Christian faith and morals, and when you observe it, you shrug it off because of the ideal. You may be being offered an opportunity by God. Use your common sense. Use common sense. Moses was speaking face to face with God, and God never told him to appoint lesser judges. It took his father-in-law Jethro to tap him on the shoulder and say, Moses, Moses, from morning till night you hear the problems of the people. Appoint your brother Aaron to hear the lesser cases and reserve the more difficult cases for yourself, or you will lose your health. John of the Cross commented on this gloss. Oh, no, I guess gloss on the on the scripture. That's a scripture about Moses. Here Moses is speaking face to face with God. At this time, God does not tell him to do, appoint lesser judges. It takes Jethro. Why? Because it's common sense. God has created you with common sense. Use your common sense. Don't wait for God to crack the skies and come down on a ladder and say, Hey, I want you to do this. He's not going to do that. Because you have the dignity of faith. It's through faith that you have union with your Father's will. You go forward with the dignity of faith. Common sense. And you speak and you act. If you see something wrong, say something. It may, you may get hurt. We have. We've never been able to dialogue with the clergy and staff of our parish in our diocese without being harmed. I'm not saying every instance is a harming instance. But I'm saying... In the, in the, globally, I cannot tell you, and I know no one who has spoken up who has not been harmed. They will hurt you. 
They are not nice at the diocesan level or at our parish level. Now, are there nice people at the diocese level and the parish level? Absolutely. But they have not been able to protect us. That's why our bishop says if you have a problem of corruption or illegality, refer it to 911. In law, that's an admission. I could say, and I can make an inference, he cannot protect you. <clears throat> if your bishop and your people are telling you call 911, I would argue that's an admission. By conduct, he's telling you, I cannot protect you. This is a time for brave souls to step out and learn how to create facts, capture the facts in terms of an affidavit, and it legally exists. We're not talking about fabricating when I say create facts. <clears throat> We're talking about that in the term that John Paul II used with the communist. You, 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 when you're in the church, there are legal fictions. I don't think that uh, if a group can file a grievance. I'm told that. I don't know that's to be the case, but I've been told that. So you have to do it individually. I'm told that if they will not, the rules of evidence of the church will not allow uh, for a communication by an email. It has to be snail mail. I'm told that. Well, there are times when we take a shot over their bow, and we may use these defects because we want to alert them. So you have to decide, but above all, that's a parens on what can be done and what can't be done, and they cannot protect you. So get ready for the cross. Let me continue. And we've been able to survive. Let me tell you, it's not the end of the world. You talk to Teresa, Bill, it's difficult. It's betrayal. Just like they say, betrayal, dismay, and betrayal. P painful and disgust. They will say, oh, you're angry. You, you have hate on your heart. You know what I hate? I hate injustice. I hate that you suppress Jesus Christ. I hate that I hate evil and I hate Satan. You're supposed to hate these things. More importantly, I use your term hate, but it's not hate. It's disgust. The psychologist will tell you there's circuits there for disgust, not necessarily anger, justified wrath, but psychologically speaking, disgust. And you're allowed to have it. It's a positive emotion. Let me continue. Page five. Furthermore, they have their daily prayers, plus periodic spiritual retreats, regular formation, conferences, in addition to calendared spiritual directions. In addition, they undergo the mandated uh, progressive psychological tests in order to determine their aptitude for the priestly religious life and ministry. It is therefore not simply perplexing, but also demoralizing that there are still a number of them, admittedly the exception, and definitely not the rule, who allow themselves to mortify the church and betray the good Lord by flagrant sexual improprieties. It is not a secret that evil roams all the time, among all the people all over the world. What is detestable is the practice in certain infamous countries of keeping in futile and vile confidence the case of evil priests and religious. Let me repeat that. What is detestable is the practice in certain infamous countries of keeping in futile and vile confidence the cases of evil priests and religious. And I'll tell you right there, I'll claim that the United States of America does that. Okay, Guam, it's reported, does that. Mauritius, it's reported, that does that. And our Lancy Diocese does that. Let me continue. Even a simple and swift reading of the above-cited quote from the recent pastoral letter of the Holy Father cannot but bring to fore his profound frustration and regret that, 
A. Instead of protecting and caring for them, which even good pagans do, certain priests and religious were precisely the ones abusing children and young people whom Christ dearly loves and His church deeply treasures. Let me continue. Page 6. B. Their abuse is not only gravely sinful and therefore morally lamentable, as obviously laid down by no less than two of the Ten Commandments of God, but also considered highly criminal even before the secular society. C. Such hideous actuations of some priests and religious have made the Holy Father feel not only dismay, but also downright betrayal as experienced by the victims themselves, considering that the victimizers remain unpunished. Resign. You knew but did nothing. You have not acted as you should. These were some of the virulent accusations hurled at the Holy Father himself when such sexual aberrations on the part of priests and religious came to public knowledge. It is not hard to imagine how awful he must have felt knowing perfectly that the Holy See has been appointing hundreds of bishops all over the globe. According to clear and standing church law, they are the ones officially, formally, and directly responsible for the disciplinary ministry on the erring members of their respective clergy. Now he continues with a little note here. This publication complements the previous one written in 2009, with the title, Penal Law in the Church in Default Mode, book number 31. Uh, let me continue. Episcopal Disciplinary Ministry on Errant Members of the Clergy. And it starts with, I'm moving right into page 9. Episcopal Governance and Accountability. Now I'm going to leave that and pick that up. Uh, next time I'm going to try to continue on and I'm the reason I say that is because I feel truth the church is not afraid of truth and truth is never fearful of dialogue so I have this the right of sodomy homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church volume 4 the Homosexual Network in the American Hierarchy and Religious Orders, Randy Engel. And I, I feel compelled. They're trying to silence her, meaning clergy and staff. And I want to pick up on that. And so I'm going to go back into this with another podcast. I don't remember where I left off at. But I want to continue. But I'll remind everybody, this is disgusting material. But... Uh, you know, and I, I, I live this. I see the corruption. I see the destruction of doctrine and community by priests in the Diocese of Lansing and the other priests are silent. They do nothing. It's like they're frozen delights, you know, made by God to delight God and to delight us and they're frozen. They're frozen delights. You know, if they were, uh, if you look at them, they remind me in terms of military, if you look at them, they look like athletes. They're theologically muscled up. They can run, you know, the two-minute mile, the three-minute mile. They can run well. They can talk the talk. They look like soldiers, but they're not. They're athletes. 
And if perchance one of them happens to go the next stage and become a soldier, they're no good for combat. They're good in garrison, a soldier that is good in garrison only. And and I just cannot, I'm I'm sure there are, but the ones that, that, that have been able to help here in America, the people that I have to deal with, thinking of the Franciscan murder, Francis, Pope Francis identified, when you cold shoulder them, you murder them in the heart. Those have been helped by O.V. Cruz more, and he's dead, than the living. Oscar Romero, Bishop Fulton Sheen, you know, uh, the juridical mind of uh, St. Marie Escriva, uh, St. I forgot, Escriva is his name, got to get that full name these individuals can help us our local people they don't do anything remember when you when, when you're in the military say t- t- seal team six they go through a progression they're looking for people to weed out they want to weed out the athletes because the athletes do not have that commitment when things are down they cannot take care of other people the entire seal team training is the community to take care of the person to complete the mission and take care of others, not yourself. Put others first. So the, the athlete doesn't do that. The athlete is the star of the show. Then some people, again, three classifications, athletes, soldiers that are only good in garrison. That's behind a fort. They can talk to talk, but they can't walk. And then soldiers who have been in combat, good combat soldiers. If you look at World War II, World War I Sergeant York and World War II Audie Murphy, they don't look like athletes. They don't look like SEAL Team 6 members. But they are the most decorated and some of the most effective combat uh, soldiers in those two wars. And look at them. They did their job. They were selfless, looking out for their community. I don't know of a priest in the Lansing Diocese that I can say that about, that he's looking out for community. They look out for themselves, and they are, that's why I refer to him as an athlete. Now, I don't... Think I don't profess to know them all, but we can't get masses for Heather in my own parish at HolyRedeemerBurton.org, Michigan, and not one of them that I know of has said to me, you know, I went in there and tried to have a mass for Heather. I tried. I did my best. Nothing. Bishop uh, doesn't try. No one tries. We've been to the bishop's place in Lansing. We don't talk to him. We talk to his attorney and the chancellor there. And uh, the reports come back to me that they said they can do nothing. The parish priest runs it. Can't get the sacrament, the mass. Get this. I can't have a mass said for that person because the priest says no. She's not worthy. Go have her say mass. Have a mass said for her somewhere else. Not worthy to be said here. That's my community. I invested in that community. And I'll tell you, that's the wrong attitude about doctrine. That's how they shred doctrine. That's not communal. That's not how we define community in the Catholic Church, but they do. They define it by power. Loyalty to the parish priest and correct behavior is how they define their community. The church talks about it as faith. You look at it and it is not individualistic. You look at it, it starts with the Trinity. How to live, we are taught by the Trinity, not by our parish priest Steve. We are taught by the Trinity. We have a long tradition of that. So keep that in mind. And I encourage you to start speaking up. If you have, if you're not happy with what you've got, you'll continue to get the same thing. Now, 
If you think that you can just bide your time, we've had situations where it's going to get worse. We have uh, Mount Zion uh, in our own Lansing Diocese that had uh, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, and repeat, wash, rinse, and repeat. Did the same thing. They tried to keep it quiet. They tried to accommodate, and it just destroyed families. It destroyed marriages and a lot of problems. And then we have uh, Ann Arbor with Ralph Martin. He publicly apologized for the charismatic community mess down there where they were trying to control in, in the minutia of the lives of the faithful. And the attitude was, and I allow me to give you my opinion, and you're allowed an opinion too, but my opinion is, and this is what I was told by informed sources, of boiling all the fat off the bones when we're talking about the charismatic mess in Ann Arbor that Ralph Martin apologized about is simply this. In the charismatic approach to faith, their, their belief is there is, or their statement was, there's one spirit of truth. Leadership has discerned what that one spirit of truth is. You disagree with it, get out. Now, if that's true, and I'm not saying it's true, but that's how I was told, you can discern it yourself. That's exactly what I've experienced. If that were it, that's exactly what I've experienced and witnessed in my own parish. The parish that I was born in. And they're going to say you're an old fogey, you're this or that. They have a lot of arguments. But you might want to begin to ask, is there anybody advocating for the lady? The lady haven't studied this 14, 15, 16 years to know how to be what this is about. And these men are coming out of seminary. They're like lions. They're not shepherds. They become lions that now are predatory. So I would encourage you to think it through if you're choosing not to do something. Think it through if you're choosing not to oppose evil, not to oppose darkness. And I leave you with this thought of our Father coming. Not Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. Our Father in Genesis coming when creation was, there was darkness, and he spoke truth, and it dispersed the darkness. There was chaos, and he spoke truth to the chaos, and there came about order. Think about you and the... Uh, the imponderables, the many things that could happen if you choose not to imitate our Father. Christ taught us, thy will be done about the Father. Christ came. I come for one thing, to do the will of the Father. I can't even give you who's going to sit at the right. That's up to the Father. So powerful. You know, there is a dominion of the lie. Disperse it. There's an empire of injustice. Challenge it. Stand up and say, just with questions, and we'll show you how to do that. Just with questions. Just with an affidavit. You simply, it's so simple. Because these men, <coughs> these frozen delights, I think will be encouraged. I think that's what happened to uh, uh, Father Joe. We call him Padre uh, Big Beard. I think that's what he did. He was encouraged by the laity because we can, we can protect them. We can protect them more than they can protect themselves. They obviously can't protect themselves. And uh, from our experience here, if they speak out about a wicked priest, they end up being punished and humiliated by being sent off to what we call Cuckoo Island. That's for a psychological eval. How disgusting. Are you with me? We are going to stand up. I cannot, I cannot stand, I cannot speak here and say we're going to defeat the empire of injustice, defeat 
the dominion of the lie. But we can resist it. We can fight it. And hopefully our children will not experience the betrayal, the dismay that we have. They will not experience the destruction of community, the shredding of doctrine that we have. They filter Francis. They want, our priest wants a conciliatory church, Vatican II. Oh, forgive me, I'm sorry, I want a conciliatory church, Vatican II doctrine, when it's him and he gets caught, or it's his clergy friends, or it's the staff. But when it's you, they want punishment. They want the uh, they they want you executed. They want absolute capital punishment. What Francis has identified, they murder you with the cold shoulder and they exclude you. They cancel you. Where is the conciliation there? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about power and wealth. All right, power and wealth. And we're in it. But uh, you know what? Game on, guys. We're not going away, and we are going to challenge. Jesus Christ, his truth is irresistible, irresistible. So I encourage you today, if you don't pray, begin to pray. If you've left the church, consider coming back. Watch us in our writings on our website, uh, what we do, and we're beginning to what we call in, in an imagery, we crucify our bishop. People are coming and gawking. I've had families say, you know, my kids are baptized, but my grandkids are not. And they, they begin to think about these things. You mean that bishop really does get crucified? Well, I said, we're not doing hand, nails and stuff, but we're saying to him, you need to hear this. You need to do something about it. And if you don't do something about it, we're inviting everybody else to come and look at your bishop because we harangue him. We, we talk to him. He has to listen to this. And it's not. It's painful. It's like walking them men, these men through Auschwitz walking their family and their children through Auschwitz saying, you didn't know about that? You couldn't smell the stench? You didn't see the smoke? You didn't hear the screams and cries of distress? We're taking that away from them. They cannot deny that they, with your grievances, with your letters, with your admin recourses, administrative recourses, with your dubious, you deny them the ability on judgment day to say, I did not know. That's the Nuremberg defense, and we're not going to let them have that. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Do pray, do get holy, amen.